I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We're going to start this morning in verse 22, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. It's another one of those most famous stories in the Bible. It's in all of the Bible storybooks. We love to tell this one to our children. We love to make application of this story to our spiritual lives, and rightly so. I can think of a bunch of songs about it. As I wrote my sermon this week, all these songs kept coming back, and book titles, even memes and jokes. Jesus walks on the water. That's the quintessential miracle story about Jesus. And just think, it actually happened. I think sometimes we can turn this story into a metaphor. And we can miss the fact that, first of all, it was history. This isn't just a story about somebody so wonderful that they, quote-unquote, walked on water. This is a story about a time that a man really did. In fact, for a short amount of time, two men really did. But that's getting ahead of our story. First, we need to get our eyes on the ball. Right? We've been saying that the last few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew. We've got to keep our eyes on the ball when you're reading the Gospel of Matthew. What is the ball in the Gospel of Matthew? It's the identity of Jesus, right? Matthew is a theological biography of the most compelling person who ever lived. And the key question that Matthew is always answering, he's always answering it, he's always answering it through his, his genealogies, his stories, his reports of Jesus' teaching, his reports of Jesus' miracles, the parables, everything Matthew gives us, the key question is, who is Jesus? And once you know, believe, and receive that answer, you are invited and compelled to follow Him. To follow Jesus. So, who is this Jesus? This story, at the end of Matthew chapter 14, takes the answer to that question to a whole other level. And the answer can be captured in a very short little sentence that you can find in verse 27. Jesus says it. He says this. He says, it is I. It is I. That's proper English, by the way. We tend to answer the phone, it's me, right? But the correct first person pronoun in a predicate nominative is I. I had an English teacher for a mom, so I had to know the answer to that one. Your English versions all have it correct. It is I. The Greek is ego eimi. Ego, a me. And those little words make all the difference. Those little words are just as, if not more important than the miracle itself. Jesus said, it is I. Let's pray together and then think about what that really means for us today. Would you pray with me? Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah for His cross. Thank You for His precious blood. Lord, we lift that name high above all names. We want Jesus to be glorified because He said, it is I. And that makes all the difference to us today. Help us to get it, to see it, to know it, to believe it, to receive it, and to live differently. Because we do. I pray this in the powerful name 
of Jesus our Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. Amen. This story begins with the humanity of Jesus. It's going to progress pretty quickly to the divinity of Jesus, but I think because it's going to go there, Matthew starts by painting for us a picture of a very human Jesus. A Jesus who wants to be left alone. If you remember last week, Jesus wanted to be alone and it didn't work. He'd gotten some bad news and he wanted to go to a solitary place, but the crowds followed him and he was compassionate. He healed their sick and eventually he fed a gigantic crowd, but he still wanted to be alone. He wanted some time alone to pray. So he sends everybody away. The crowd and his disciples. Look at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Now don't miss that. In all of the excitement that is soon to come in this story, don't miss Jesus' need for time alone with his father and if jesus needed time alone with his father how much more do you and i need time alone with god the father he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray do you get alone with god to pray now i don't know if jesus was planning to walk across the sea this whole time or if he had another plan and decided on the spur of the moment to do it He definitely had not told anyone what his plan was because they were very surprised. But it's interesting to think what they had expected him to do. How did they expect him to meet up with them? Perhaps he would catch a later boat? We don't know. This is a picture from the ESV study Bible of the type of boat that Jesus' disciples probably used based on the remains of an approximately 2,000-year-old fishing boat found on the north northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It could hold 15 men. It was 26 and a half feet long, 7 and a half feet wide, 4 and a half feet high. Jesus' disciples were in the boat. Jesus was not. Verse 23. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Do you get the picture in your, in your mind? When you cross-reference this story in Matthew with the other Gospels that have this same miracle story in it, you find that the boat was about three or three and a half miles from the shore. Okay, so think about that. Kyler Town's what? Like right over this way? How far is Kyler Town? It's less than three miles away, right? So there's sea between me. Let's, let's, Charlie's house is probably about three miles away, right? Okay, so it's me to Charlie's house, and it's water, okay? And there's waves. The wind is against the boat. There's this great big headwind, and it's rocking the boat. You ever been in a boat that's got the water going up? And everybody, you ride that up, and then you ride it down, and then you ride that up, and you ride it down. And, you, and they're not making it across like they wanted to because the, the wind is against them. It's causing the disciples distress. And it's nighttime, right? This isn't during the day. This is in the middle of the night. 
Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. You read that right. Walking on the lake. That is as crazy as it sounds to us today. The fourth watch on the Roman clock was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And Jesus comes walking right up to them. Never mind he's walking on the water for a second. How does he walk right up to them? Without a GPS. Right? In a storm, could you walk from here to Charlie's house with your eyes closed? Or with the rain coming at you? Maybe. On the... It's, and the, the waves are coming up and down. You know, I've always thought of it as kind of like this placid thing and Jesus walks across the water. But it's more like He's walking up these hills and back down these hills as the, the waves are coming up and down. What, what, what did this look like? I can't even imagine. It's a windy night on the lake and the waves are up and down and the wind is howling. And the waves are up and down. And Jesus comes walking right up to it. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was about to pass them. I just think that's amazing. He's like, hey guys, on his way to the other side. He was going to pass them. Who does that? Who does that? The disciples have one answer. It's a phantasm. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried. They said, and cried out in fear. Ah! This is like something out of a horror movie, right? We don't have categories for this. If this happened to you, you would not have a category for this. You and I are like, well, he just fed 20,000 people. Who do you think it is? But my guess is that if we were in the boat, we'd be like, ah, what is it? And this is when Jesus says what he says about his identity. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. It isn't a ghost. It is I. It's Jesus. It isn't a monster. It is I. It is Jesus. It isn't something to be scared of, but something to, somebody to find your peace in. It is I. It is Jesus. And remember, the wind is howling. So I think Jesus is yelling this at the top of his lungs. It is I. It makes all the difference. It is I. Ego me. Now, I don't think that they would have caught this at the time. I'm not even sure that he said it in Greek at the time because he might have been speaking in Aramaic. But Christians have caught this afterwards in Matthew's rendition. The Greek words ego eimi could also be translated, does anybody know? I am. I am. As in what, what God said at the burning bush That He alone is the I Am. When when, when Jesus intimated at another time when He claimed that before Abraham was, I Am. 
And they knew that time what he was saying because they picked up stones to kill him. Who walks on the water? Who does that? Listen to Job chapter 9, verses 4 through 8. The Lord God's wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Who does that? There's only one. Listen to Psalm 77. Asaph is crying out to God in verses 18 and 19. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Who walks on the water? On his own power. Ego me. It is I. I am. That's who Jesus is. I've got four points of application for us today. And they all flow out of understanding who Jesus really is. And that if He is in our lives, then it makes all of the difference. Here's number one. Take heart. Do you see that it is I is in a word sandwich? There's a command on one side and there's a command on the other. Those commands are the bread and it is I is the meat in the middle. What's He say on either side? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Do you see how that it is I changes everything? I mean, if it's Jesus, then we have nothing to fear. What are you afraid of right now? Write it down on the back of your bulletin. What are you afraid of right now? What's your biggest fears right now? You've all got them. We all do. If you don't, you're lying to yourself. What are you afraid of? It might be legitimately scary. These guys were in a boat on the sea at night and a howling wind and there was something coming at them. That's scary. What are you afraid of? The word translated take courage in the NIV is the same as in John 16.33. One of my most precious passages where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. There are scary things out there. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take courage. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Say that to your fears this week. Your fears are real. But speak back to them. Say to them, it is Jesus. He's here. I am His. He's the great I am. Take heart. Now this next part of the story is only told to us by Matthew in his Gospel. The other Gospel writers don't give us these details. Matthew has the scoop. 
Simon Peter shows great promise as a disciple. He decides that he wants to imitate his master. Look how he says it in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You see that? If it's you. Since it's you. If you really are you, and you are really walking on the water, then let me come out there too. That's amazing, friends. That's amazing. I wouldn't have done that one. And even more amazing, Jesus says, all right, come. Verse 29. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. You know, oh, he's walking on the water. He's walking towards Jesus. Here's application point number two. Step out. If Jesus says, it is I, and then he says, come, then what should you and I do? We ought to come, right? Faith, real faith, takes action. Faith steps out. If you really believe in Jesus, it will show by what you do. You will trust Him and you will obey Him. You can't say you trust Him and then not obey Him. That shows that you don't really trust Him. If you really trust Him, you obey Him. And you will imitate Him. And you will follow Him. Now, I don't think that most of us are supposed to walk on the, on the water. That'd be fun. I guess. But that's what... But that's what Jesus says come to us about most... That's not what Jesus says to us about come to Him most of the time. Most of the time when He says, come, follow Me, He ends it with, and share the Gospel. Or forgive someone who sinned against you. Or serve the poor. Or use your gifts to minister to others. Those things aren't as miraculous as walking on the water, but it's the same Lord asking us to do it, to step out. Where do you need to step out in ministry and following Jesus because He's saying, come? It might be as scary to you as walking on the water to do what Jesus is calling you now to do. But he never asks us to go somewhere he isn't already. I told you I'm nervous this week about sitting on that panel on Wednesday morning. I don't like speaking in public. That was, that was a joke. But in front of my peers, where they're asking pressurized questions, I like people to like me. Maybe they're not going to like me. I'm nervous about it. But I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to listen as well as I can and try to respond well and love well because I've heard Jesus say, come. Of course, we all know what happens next. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? That was a close one. I don't know about you, but I totally identify with Peter. 
Can you imagine? It's water from here to Charlie's house. And you stepped out of the boat. And the wind is howling and down you go. I'd like to think I'd get out of the boat, but I'm not sure I'd even done that. I'm sure that if I'd saw the wind and the waves, I'd be afraid. And Jesus rebukes him. But it's gentle. He calls him oligopistoi. You of little faith. Does that, does that word sound familiar? Oligopistoi? We've, we've heard this phrase before already. In Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 8. We're going to hear it again in chapter 16 and chapter 17. This is one of Jesus' favorite little phrases for gently rebuking those he loves. My wife has a little phrase like that at home. She calls us, you dummies. (laughs) Don't do that, you dummies. This is Jesus' little, you dummies, to Peter. This is Jesus' little little phrase for gently rebuking those he loves. He's saying that Peter has faith, but he needs more of it. He needs to keep on believing in Jesus. That's number three. Keep on. Keep on trusting. Don't stop now. You're learning. Good job getting out of the boat. The other guys didn't do that. But why'd you stop trusting? Why'd you start doubting? Oligopistoi, why did you stop? Remember, it is I. Do you need to hear that today? Maybe you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus recently. Are you looking at the wind and the waves? Keep looking at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. It is Him. Don't look inward to see if you have enough faith. When he says oligopistol, he's not saying, now look inward and see if you have more faith in there somewhere and draw it out. No, he's saying, keep looking at Jesus and put all the faith you have on Him and just don't stop. You've made a good start, just focus. That's where we begin to sink when we take our eyes off of Him, when we start doubting that He is enough, that He is the great I Am, that He is ego e me. I love verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Just like that. Just like back in chapter 8, when Jesus told the wind to settle down, and it said, oops, sorry. Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I'm sure they didn't know all of what they were saying. But they knew that Jesus was something special. And they worshipped Him. These Jews worshipped this man. Can you imagine? That's number four, our last point. Worship Him. This person is the most important person who ever lived. He is a man. Remember how needy he was at the beginning of the story? He just wanted to be alone? But he's not just a man. And he's not just any man. He's the Son of God. Keep your eye on the ball. This is what Matthew is all about, right? Who is Jesus? Here we hear. Truly, he is the Son of God. 
worthy of all of our worship. Worthy of everything we have said and done here this morning and so much more. The chapter ends with some more people recognizing Jesus and with Him healing some more people just like He had earlier in the chapter and just like He's going to again. Verse 34, when they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to Him and begged Him to let the sick just touch the edge of His cloak and all who touched Him were healed. Which sets us up nicely for next week because some of those people who touched Him were very unclean. And that doesn't seem to matter to him. And that raises some questions that Jesus will then answer from the heart. But right now it's enough to just see what these disciples saw. They saw not just a healer, not just a powerful man, but the Son of God Himself, the I Am, worthy of all of our worship forever.